0: Alex Fleming thanks so much for joining us on this very special podcast it's part of us launching the Purpose Coalition obviously you're president and head of the UK and Ireland for probably what is one of the biggest recruitment companies on the planet ADECO tell us a little bit about what purpose means for you and the company that you're you're such a big part of
1: Thanks, Justine. And firstly, just to say it is a real privilege to be part of the Purpose Coalition. It plays exactly to who we are as the ADECO Group, as an organisation. So thank you for encouraging and and supporting us. Um, In answer to your question, company purpose for me is the real social conscience of a company. It's the philosophical heartbeat, I like to say. Um, And for it to really live and breathe within an organisation, it has to be placed at the core of the strategy. And I think when companies fully leverage their scale to benefit society, the impact can be really extraordinary. And I think the power of purpose is needed more than ever right now, as the world fights this urgent threat of COVID-19 pandemic. And several companies, um, I think, are really doubling down on that purpose. And it's at the very time that stakeholders need it the most. Um, and this is really, really encouraging and, and, and great to see. Um, and I was recently glad to read um, that 93% of Fortune 500 CEOs believe their companies should focus on both making profits and social goals. So this is good news. However, um, in the same um, article um, from McKinsey, 82% of employees feel that purpose is important, but only 42 believe that their organisations actually drive impact. Um, and I think this shows that purpose-driven companies are top of mind right now, but only a few companies are really walking that talk. Um, yeah, sorry. No, go ahead. Um, and I think that we know that purpose-led organizations have a common thread Um, they're more innovative they generally have flatter organizational structures and they have a healthy work-life balance whilst
0: constantly driving an agenda of doing what's right for everyone. I think it's really interesting what you're saying about this sense of the words versus the action and reality and and, and especially how that is experienced not just if you like in a wider community but perhaps by those people might know it soonest and the most which are employees in the company yeah um i mean one of the things that we've been doing through the the work on the social mobility pledge and now the purpose coalition is really working with businesses just like a deco on opportunity action plans that really get into the heart of how you bring that purpose alive and and make sure it really does go through your business so tell us a little bit about for a deco what bringing purpose alive for the company for your employees and the communities you're you're part of What does that really mean for you as a business?
1: I think our organization identity has three strong elements. It's around our clear purpose, our strong brand, and having a widely recognized culture. And I often refer refer to Stephen Covey's simple question, who am I in life and at work? And I think this has helped us to tie individual purpose to company purpose. Um, And people ultimately need to understand where they're going, why you're going there, and of course, how they fit in. And if this is clear and consistent, um, and you're really passionate about this approach, I think people really wanna be a part of it. Um, And We've followed four key steps in developing our social impact strategy. So sizing up where we are now, including our vulnerabilities, because of course we, we have those too, Clarifying how our purpose connects with our company's superpower, which is placing people in meaningful jobs and measuring and managing purpose so that it really becomes part of the core DNA of the organization. And I think we have we're quite unique at the ADECA group because we have three key stakeholders, clients, candidates and colleagues. Um, But this year we added a fourth C community. And the creation of inclusive shared identity with teams and communities, which translates to alignment in purpose with an organization and then ultimately back to society. I think our community strategy is focused on creating brighter futures for everyone. Mm-hmm. And our top priority is improving access to opportunity by working closely with schools to really empower youth and employ. Improve- and improve their employability and also focusing on improving access to work for all those individuals who are in transition to enter or re-enter the world of work and we're working closely with charities like Shelter, British Paralympic Association to really support homeless individuals and uh, differently abled uh, individuals and we also really believe in creating inclusive futures for everyone Um, And the ADECO group is an equal opportunity recruiter, but we're really proud of our 50-50 gender split at UK and Ireland board level. And our demographic split is now better than the average UK market. But it really doesn't stop there for us. We are now also really focusing on supporting our clients to drive inclusion in their organizations too. And we're really looking forward to being part of the Purpose Coalition that connects us with those like-minded organizations to really inspire our passion to not just be purpose-driven but also really
0: be purpose-led. I think it's I think it is really inspiring I think it's hugely powerful and that point you made earlier on around this sense that there isn't a compromise being made I think in the long term or even necessarily the short and medium term between profit and actually doing the right thing in terms of purpose and actually reaching that wider talent pool. I think it's probably never been more important, but tell us a little bit from from your perspective about where that fits in as a recruitment company. I mean, in so many ways, you talked about those journeys that people are on, being able to fulfill their potential. I mean, obviously, ADECO's whole purpose in a way is allowing people to get on in their lives and do just that.
1: Absolutely. And I think what you said when we first chatted Justine um, really resonates with me and that is talent is everywhere but opportunity is not and according to the social mobility commission um, social mobility has been virtually stagnant over the last five years and there remains this stubborn gap in higher education attendance between children from different Mm -hmm. socioeconomic backgrounds And I think the top professions continue to recruit disproportionately from a narrow strata of society. You know, we know that only 6% of doctors, um, a small percent just over 10% of journalists, and we know only 12% of chief executives come from working class backgrounds. And this is a particular dominance of the privately educated in society's Upper echelons. And I think, you know, the UK's lack of social mobility is often more about um, more acute in minority groups also. Um, so last year, um, one of the stats I was reading the other day, 84 of the 1,048 director positions in the FTSE 100 were held by a business leader from an ethnic minority. And this causes um, poor social mobility. These causes are, are deep rooted. Um, complex and ultimately societal Um, but this doesn't mean employers are powerless to act Um, and in fact they can do much more than they think uh, not least by really ensuring their recruitment processes don't continue to perpetuate low application rates from people from less privileged and minority backgrounds and if you think about it from a recruitment perspective I, I really believe you have to focus on potential, not that polish and recognize the benefits of a diverse and inclusive team.
0: I think it's it's been really fascinating because obviously when a young person's developing, you know, the main focus of the education system is on their academic attainment. And, and we do a huge amount of measuring on that. But I think even when we've looked, if you like, at that other aspect of a young person's development, and often we do look at these external things like polish, external confidence. And actually, you know, you probably know as much as anyone um, as a recruiter that it's the strengths inside often that are the ones that really make that difference between a fantastic employee and one that's just going to be OK. Yeah. And almost this sort of polish piece of it can be done you know later almost in a sense it's that sort of internal resilience that and you know problem solving creativity that uh, i guess the challenge in recruitment is it's not always easy to see that so well from almost that more traditional cv approach and and that's quite a, a dry way of presenting someone isn't it
1: yeah and i mean we work heavily in this space um and there's some of the lessons that we've observed um from top opportunity led employers Um, are using data to really understand recruitment patterns and progression within work for people from different backgrounds. Um, You know, we really encourage people to reach out to schools and colleges, um, not just universities, and particularly schools with more disadvantage, and support those um, who can influence and help young people. So parents, teachers, school leaders, careers advisors, and 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 one of the things that's been hugely beneficial for me is is always assigning reverse mentors at a c suite level in your organization to really support better understanding and connectivity i think this this can be can be really powerful i think at the, the adeka group progressively we support more and more employers who work with us to develop their initiatives as well as involve them in our programs Because we're really passionate about upskilling and reskilling opportunities too and I think this is key in the current unemployment crisis as well as to help future-proof our talent pools.
0: Yeah and it's probably never been more important. Um, I've always felt the challenge with social mobility is that it's very hidden and so whereas on and other areas like gender and and BAME and, and you know how many ethnic minorities are in more senior positions, you can really see without having to ask. I think the challenge for wider social mobility is you have those those barriers, if you like, but it's it's not always easy to to spot, if you like, when they're holding people back. And yeah. I think, you know, the the power that a has in starting to almost analytically work through those challenges is, you know as you say potentially quite profound because you know you can really genuinely get that insight but then pass it on to the the clients you know that you're working with and all these companies that are part of this ecosystem spreading opportunity too yeah. And this year, actually, the,
1: the ADECA group in, in the UK has set up a joint venture with a company called Corn Dell. Um, and we're calling it Adeco Working Ventures. And it's recently been awarded a place on the CARES framework to support the DWP in an outsource um, a capacity aiming to help 100,000 people a year to move from unemployment to meaningful lasting jobs in the shadow of the pandemic. So I think this is a, a really important commitment as an organisation organization that, that we have made to support
0: here. And it's about stretching really that in that case to the bit of the, if you like the unlevel playing field that people are most likely to sort of be, be stuck in and is in you know, fact, I mean, really potentially hugely transformational for those young people, especially, but obviously for you, Alex, you know, you're a top business leader, um, a woman and Tell us a little bit about your journey. I mean, it's fantastic to see women in these senior roles like yours, but tell us a little bit about the journey and also um, the challenges. I mean, I think as women who maybe get to more senior levels, we all have our barriers and challenges, but it'd be really good to get a sense of yours and, and how you overcame them in a way. Sure. Um, So I've been in the HR
1: and workforce solutions industry for 20 plus years um, and what I have learnt um, is that the most desirable companies put culture first and this for me is, is so high on my agenda to really create an environment where people truly belong and they feel that they can get on. Um, And I'm very proud of the culture that we have built um, in the UK and Ireland. Um, And we've got very strong positioning in the great place to work companies listing, but we also were awarded a a top place at the employee engagement awards for um, how we engage top performers. And I think Mm -hmm. this is really, really critical that you celebrate those successes Um, and a great environment and culture that empowers people to succeed drives a strong performance, especially when leaders can support colleagues to focus on their areas of strength. And I'm a big believer in creating a level playing field where everyone has a voice. And I'm constantly encouraging my leaders to hire to their weakness and build teams with really complementary skill sets. And I think this is what creates a winning team. Um, but to do this, it does take confidence. Um, and I think this is something that we have to build in leaders um, of the future. It doesn't happen overnight. But I have a, a real mantra um, for success that I have have lived and breathed sort of all of my career. Um, and it's sort of six specific things. Um, the first one is around um, work ethic. Um, mm-hmm. The second one is around resilience. Um, really, really having, uh, being decisive and making decisions Um, having always having a measurable plan um, really empowering the people that you work with um, and always being consistent and fair because this is what ultimately will drive um, and give you respect and as I said I think it's something I've lived and breathed and I really try to to get my teams to um, also have a leadership mantra
0: that they can live and breathe so they have something to stand for and I think those are really universal leadership qualities in a way, because this is what it comes down to. It comes down to people who are in those leadership positions in business, almost understanding what they need to do to create the right environment and climate. Yeah. But as you say, having the confidence to be able to say, look, no one's perfect, but a team can be. And so the skill is in building that team to plug all of those different things you need as a group of people to be able to do collectively and not actually worrying about the fact that all of you individually couldn't achieve it on your own. You wouldn't need a team if that was the case. And it's just absolutely, for me, it's absolutely crucial, but it also goes to this heart of the, the, the debate and the discussion around diversity and the fact that actually, you know, you talked about McKinsey earlier, they did a a really powerful report a few years ago that just set it out in black and white, how more diverse companies just do better. They take better decisions, they perform better, they're probably fresher places to work in terms of the thinking. And so from my perspective, what we've been doing on the social mobility pledge, um, you know, working with companies like ADECO, it's about unleashing that diversity. You know, we have it in this country, but Mm -hmm. traditionally we haven't really used it, I suppose. Mm,
1: Yeah, Uh, yeah, I totally agree. I mean, we have seen as we've evolved and changed um, our teams over the years, we've seen more innovation, it absolutely creates more resilience. And also it allows other people in the organization to really feel they can get on when they see it's representative in their leaders. Um, And it's really important to me, as I mentioned earlier, we're in a unique position where we have two different customers. We have our clients and we have our candidates and we have to be representative of our clients and our candidates. And this is becoming more and more important and more on that agenda um, for, for the clients and the candidates that we work with for us to be taken seriously as an organization.
0: And I think, you know, the other piece I really wanted to dig into was you talked about youth empowerment, which is absolutely crucial. Um, And I think for me and, you know, when I was a secretary of state at International Development, we did a youth summit because actually when I looked at the development programs we had around the world, so many of them in it were actually focused on young people, whether it was maternal mortality of very young girls having babies before probably most women um, and somewhere like Britain would do, whether it was education, whether it was health and vaccinations for young children. And so we ended up doing a youth summit because actually my sense was we need to work at how to fuse young people into helping us develop our development programmes because actually they're the people that are, are you know at the sharp end of, of hopefully benefiting from them. But you talked about youth, emplo- uh, um, youth empowerment and my sense is that in terms of measuring impact as well, which is what we all want to do actually starting to involve young people in that is probably one of the ways we'll have the right team if I could put it like that with the coalition to be able to start measuring impact more effectively
1: yeah I agree and I think you know the best advice that I can give to young women and girls is to really be authentic um, and be creative and be brave (laughs) um and I think it's, it's hard sometimes, but you need to believe in yourself first. Um, go with a real growth mindset and never be afraid to ask for help and support. Um, And I appreciate it isn't always easy, and particularly today, when you're constantly being scrutinized, um, but trying to ignore the negative energy and focus on the positive things where you know you can make the greatest impact. And that's why I talked earlier about really helping people to play to their strengths. Of course, it's great to really develop um, other areas too, but when you put people playing to their strengths, then you get a better performance and people feel um, better in the role that they're in. Um, which which is always the way that we we want to feel. And I think if you can find someone in the organization that you admire, um, ask them to be your mentor, recommend um, or ask them to recommend you a mentor um, that would be suitable for you to help you with your development. Because I always think it's such a benefit to have a supporter on on your career journey. And in return, as I mentioned earlier, I think it's also great to offer them some reverse mentorship and don't be afraid to do that. So I think as experienced leaders in the business, we should really spend time understanding what motivates all generations in our organisation. And just because we have more years of experience, business experience, does not mean we've all the answers. Um, And some of my most valuable lessons have come from colleagues in the business who have reverse mentored me and helped me to really understand different perspectives. So I think being bold in um, going and seeking out opportunities um, and putting your hand up for opportunities that present themselves, even if you don't feel that you're quite ready for the next step, which I know you have to be brave to do, but you may not be successful every time. But I think it shows that you've got ambition and the experience is worth its weight in gold. Um, so I think also I would say the most creative people and the boldest people I know, they see obstacles as opportunities, which often can lead to results that no one thought is possible. So, you know, I would always just say, be creative, be bold, um, be resilient.
0: I, I thoroughly agree with that. And I remember early in my career, I didn't really have mentors, but I do remember one of the more senior people I was working with. I was um at smith klein beecham which is a big pharmaceutical company and one of the senior scientists said to me um do you ever make mistakes justine and i remember saying i'm not i don't know i'm not really sure i necessarily do and he said well you're not stepping outside your comfort zone enough then and he really encouraged me to try stretch, you know, stretching things, you know, different projects. And his point was, look, making mistakes is fine. Actually, it's often how you learn, and it's often a sign that you are stretching yourself. And yeah. you know, that bit of advice was something that that really always stuck with me. And it, it sounds like what you would be saying to other companies in terms of particularly bringing through um, younger women in their careers is. Think about that mentoring and think about the reverse mentoring um, that they can do for you and that's probably quite a straightforward way that you can almost help clear that path are there other things that you would also say to companies in particular around you know gender that you think can help them?
1: Yeah, I think that um, there is still, uh, we we know that there is still a lot of levelling up to do. Um, there is still not uh, parity. And we know that um, the Hampton the Alexander Review that I know that um, you have, have made previous reference to, um, that uh, the FTSE 100 is on track to achieve the 33% target for, for women on boards by 2020, which is really powerful. I think... Um, In the ADECA group, we've in fact also made a commitment to have a 50-50 gender split in our top 300 leaders globally by 2025. And I think the success will be based on effective succession planning and conscious inclusion. And I think these two points are, are really important. We know that women make up half the world's talent pool, um, yet women still only hold 25% of those leadership roles. And I think you have got to be very deliberate. So organizations need to avoid all-male succession plans um, and you know see that as no longer being acceptable. And it may be that you have to work a bit harder to not have that, but we have to put the effort in to, to really drive this. Um, be explicit about where to progress women and help them obtain the skills and experience to manage and drive the business, particularly in technical and operational positions where we see um, lesser women in those roles. Um, But also it's not just about hard skills, it's also about soft skills. And I think we mentioned it earlier, really giving people the confidence to believe that they can progress and to believe that they can put their hand up. And I think a lot of that, certainly we saw in, in our organization that when um, people see a balanced split in their leadership teams, um, and it's a much more diverse and inclusive leadership team, more women put their hand up for opportunities. They feel it's possible to grow because they can see others have done that before. And I think that that's, that's really, really important. Um, And and in order to do that, you may have to change the way that you work, create more flexibility in the workplace to encourage that fit-for-purpose environment um, for for women too. So I think you do have to be more deliberate than than perhaps we have been in the past, and it's a company-wide commitment to this inclusion piece. Um, And, you know, we know that men and women enter the workplace at roughly equal measures, but women tend to fall behind in promotion from the very first step of the the management ladder. So understanding why that is um, and being conscious about that inclusion and flexibility, which we know really, really helps to drive um, that more balanced agenda.
0: I think there's a lot of lessons we can learn from not just what you've just said, but also the progress we've seen on gender, how it happened. Because I think there was a recognition that there were almost two pieces of it, at least one was companies had to build the ladder properly. So simply saying there was these progression rungs wasn't enough, actually. Yeah. They needed to think much more about how they could support you to get up, you know, and then the other part is wanting to climb the ladder and the confidence and and seeing your role model, seeing other people who've gone on further Giving you a sense that it it absolutely is possible, and I just remember, you know, I mean obviously I did the gender pay gap reporting, and I think what's what's fascinating is how you had a lot of you know significant progress being made by businesses on gender equality, but then the tracking and measurement, yeah, I genuinely feel helped crystallize if you like that next step i'm sure we would have probably got stuck on 25 percent if we hadn't you know necessarily done that and i think it's a really good example of how you could have business the business community working and then a lot you know empowered enabled through some government action as well yeah. but it just really strikes me that you know 15 20 years ago you had these same sorts of things around the pipeline well there aren't any women to bring through and you know, and actually we've sort of understood that that's because companies weren't always building the ladder. And so I think when you look at these next steps, whether it's on gender or um, social mobility more widely, I think you can really take your cue. And what's really exciting to me about working with the DECA on the Purpose Coalition is working at how we build that ladder for this more diverse group of young people coming through and you know, you talked about some of the youth empowerment, you know, that you're looking at. Tell us a little bit more about the way you want to sort of inspire, engage and involve young people in all of this work. Sure. Um, so, I mean, coming back to one of the points I made made earlier,
1: um, we do really want to focus um, on um, three key areas. Um, but a report from the, the Sutton Trust found... Um, eight elite schools had sent more pupils to Oxbridge than 2,900 state schools combined. And this really drives our agenda. It's having a demonstrable impact on the backgrounds of those working in senior influential positions. Um, And overall, despite just 7% of people going to private school, they create 71% of all the senior judges, um, senior armed forced officers and and CFOs. And these numbers don't bode well at all from a social mobility standpoint. So I'm deeply passionate about this space and could talk to you about this for hours. Um, But I truly believe that we need to focus on the holistic development of the next generation to guarantee their success. And the skills gap keeps widening year on year and entrance into the job market is getting increasingly complex as industries evolve full stop at a pace to keep up with technological growth. Um, And so I think schools need to be closer to the world of work so that Mm -hmm. they can understand what the market needs when it comes to talent. And businesses also have an incredibly important part to play to help bridge this gap too. It's, It's really a partnership. And some schools have already taken this on board by hiring employability leads in schools, for example, but we still have a long way to go, um, especially in the underserved areas of the UK. And this is where our real um, passion area and where we want to really, really focus our time and energy. So our youth empowerment programme, the Creating Brighter Futures programme, is designed to improve um, pre-employability and employability readiness Mm -hmm. um, for youth. So we create cross-industry experiences for hidden talents and really champion underserved youth. Um, and through this, we aim to create a talent collective of like-minded employers who support youth empowerment and future-proofing the diverse talent pools. So fundamentally, I think this is about us playing our part in bridging the gap between education and the world of work together with our candidates and our clients and calling out the transferable skills of which there are so many and recognizing that it is a systemic, pro- systemic problem that we all need to get behind in order to truly make a difference. So ha- everyone having accountability.
0: I think that's completely right. And in the same way that on gender, it, you know, you really had to engage men, and help them understand how they were part of the solution. Yes. I think it's exactly the same. I I think you need to engage people for whom opportunities have come far more easily and help and make sure they understand that actually we we all lose out when we have a massive talent pool that goes unused. Not only the people themselves losing out on opportunity, but actually the ideas, the contribution, the jobs and prosperity all those people would have made had they had more chances to sort of get into the workplace, build their own companies, build their own careers. I mean, you know, it really is something for all of us, my view, um, that we now really need to work out how we're doing. You know, you are really a business, a deco, that focuses in on this crucial asset that any company has, which is its staff, its employees. And I think now understanding how we can help more businesses do that strategically is hugely important. What we did on the Social Mobility Pledge was really to ask companies to play that role and to understand just how inspiring they can be in schools, for example, and colleges when they bring alive the sorts of opportunities, you know, that all of them have got. So it's absolutely fantastic, you know, for us that you're part of the Purpose Coalition and that we get a chance to work with you and all of the other companies and the universities much more, much more strategically. Yeah. But I mean, Alex, looking back on all of your career, are you I mean, you've, it, you've given us a huge amount of advice, actually. I think whether you're a young woman watching this or anyone else, actually, on leadership, on how you can make your way in your career. Perhaps if you were talking to you all those years ago when you were getting going, little Alex, mm-hmm. what advice do you think, what on earth do you think you'd say to yourself now? Um, what little nugget do you think you'd pass on? This is such a good question. And I wish I had given myself
1: um, some more advice (laughs) back
0: then. I really do, actually.
1: Um, I think I would have said have more trust and belief in your capability and don't be afraid to dream big. Mm -hmm. Um, I think for me, working hard absolutely goes a long way but never ever underestimate the importance of developing people um, to bring them on their journey with you as you develop. And I think succession planning is absolutely paramount to any leader's success. And there is nothing more rewarding for me than seeing someone you've supported along the way realize their dreams and for them to be promoted and for you to see them alongside you, maybe even they become your boss in the future. that for me is where um, I uh, really, really get my kick is seeing those people develop and knowing that you've played a part in that. Um, I would also have told myself to um, find people who, believe, who you believe in and who believe in you and um, always be curious because that's how you learn. Ask as many questions as you can mm-hmm. and ask questions of those people you know, um, you really, who really inspire you and um, who, who you know um, you inspire. Um, surround yourself with the best people who are real, and don't forget to have some fun. Um, I I, I definitely have had plenty of that along the way. Um, Life is too short to not enjoy yourself. Um, And generally speaking, I think people who have fun, they perform better and they attract people to want to be around them. They're infectious um, and that's uh, my sort of final fact. So find the fun people, but who work hard um, and never be afraid to ask questions um, and succession plan all the way that you go
0: brilliant advice um absolutely fantastic (laughs) i think on that point we'll we'll bring this to a close but it's been an absolute pleasure having you on this special podcast alex fleming thank you so much for all of the insight we're so excited to be working with you on the social mobility pledge and the purpose coalition so a lot of work ahead but as you say it's about like-minded people and um, it's been great to get a chance to talk to you today thank you so much great thanks very much Justine. Thanks for listening to this episode of Fit for Purpose. If you enjoyed it, please give us a rating and share with your friends, family and colleagues. And be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes.